This weekend, your vestry and Richard and Broderick and I were all on retreat together. It was a time of fellowship, of shared meals, of learning about each other, scripture study, and of course, business. It was wonderful to be with each other and share our love for and our commitment to this community. My friend St. John's is in good hands with your elected vestry, and the new members will be installed at the next service, in case you were wondering. One of my contributions to this retreat over the past several years has been to create a pub-style trivia game. Folks divide up by vestry class to form teams, and I quiz them on a variety of topics. Most often, the questions are St. John's, the Bible, or Episcopal related. And it's fun, I think. You learn a lot about folks and how they play trivia. And I will just tell you, we have some very competitive vestry members. And one of the most raucous moments of this game was when one of our clergy <clears throat> talked his team out of a correct answer. <laughs> and Kate Dykstra would be happy for you all to know that the longest book in the Bible is indeed Psalms. And she knew that and was talked out of it by a guy in a collar. I found this particularly entertaining as I intentionally added that question in because Richard and I are teaching a class on Psalms during Lent, a class that was really well attended last week, and there is room for more. So think about joining us on Wednesdays at 1. All of this Psalm talk is prelude to an explanation for why I may have been drawn to the Psalm from our readings today. We, your clergy, or at least I, don't often preach from the Psalms. It's not the usual sermon fodder. We are often drawn to the characters, the stories, the lessons, and the good news of our other readings. But one of the ways that John Bell's book, Living the Psalms, the book we're using in our class, has influenced my thinking about the Psalms is to see them as stories, rich in meaning, and oh, so applicable to my own lived existence. These were written by regular people. These are their prayers to God. The Psalms are opening up for me, and I am seeing how my own life experience the inevitable ups and downs of simply being human truly do transcend time. Some of you may know that the way our lectionary is constructed is that the psalm is often a response to the Old Testament reading. So if we look at the story of Abraham and Sarah, we see language of abundance and blessing. Old age, I love the way, Reich, that you emphasize that for us. Old age, Abraham is 99 years old. Phrases 
are used again and again like exceedingly numerous, multitude of nations, exceedingly fruitful, offspring, everlasting covenant, blessing, and the promise of a son. This is a passage of promise and hope. And what we don't get in this passage is the before. The fact that this couple, Abraham and Sarah, have been barren for their entire marriage. They have been unable to produce an heir. Theirs is a story of heartbreak. So similarly, the verses that we get from Psalm 22 this morning are full of expressions of praise and adoration. Everyone stands in awe of God and gives God glory. When people cry, the people know God hears them. The poor shall be satisfied, and all the ends of the earth shall turn to the Lord. And I love the part where it says, even the dead and the yet to be born are worshiping and serving God. This is a story of great praise. All is well, God is good, but not so fast. We're not getting the before. Psalm 22 is actually a psalm of lament. Like the story of Sarah and Abraham and not getting the before, we are popping into the story when things seem better. Some of you may recognize Psalm 22 and know that this is the psalm that opens with the words of Jesus spoken from the cross in Matthew's gospel. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quoted this very psalm in his time of suffering and sacrifice. And we will hear Psalm 22 again in its entirety on Good Friday. So let's think about why Jesus might have said these words. Why did he choose Psalm 22 from the cross? This psalm of lament, nearly half of the psalms are lament. Why this one? From the longest book in the Bible, remember that part? The psalms were Jesus' own prayer language. He knew these prayers, these songs, by heart. Perhaps he and his family prayed them in their home. He undoubtedly prayed them in worship. And we know that he referenced them throughout his teaching. Why this psalm? In this particular story of lament where the psalmist feels deserted by God and mistreated by all who are around him, being tormented by an array of forces um, <clears throat> and living through circumstances beyond their control. Well, in this psalm of lament, there is a turn. The darkness falls away. And the psalmist starts to remember all that God provides and all that God promises. 
the lament turns to praise. Our gospel lesson today has Jesus teaching the disciples that he, the Son of Man, must undergo great suffering and be rejected and be killed, but after three days will rise again. Sounds a bit like that sweep of Psalm 22, doesn't it? Jesus must have found comfort in this psalm. He prayed the first lines from the cross, and he knew, just as the psalmist does, and we do, that God hears us when we cry out to God. Psalm 22 declares that God's goodness is not just for a few, but for the offspring of Israel, for all of Jacob's line, for the poor, to the ends of the earth, the families of the nations. The circle is ever widening and encompassing. This is the covenant that God made with Abraham and Sarah. This is the same promise. The psalmist declares that the circle extends even to those who sleep in the earth and those descendants yet to come. God's goodness transcends time. Of course, this is what Jesus remembered and prayed from the cross. One commentator cautions against viewing the sweep of this psalm in a compact time frame, and I really appreciate that. I don't trust resolutions that come too quickly or are too neatly packaged. I would guess you may feel the same way. There's a term currently, it's been around for a little while, called toxic positivity. And the idea that we aren't allowed to complain, good vibes only. The lament at the beginning of Psalm 22 is real human anguish. The psalmist cries from the depths of despair and desolation and proceeds to list all of the injustices that they have suffered. And they tell all of this to God. And that's okay with God. I don't think God needs us to engage in toxic positivity. They've cried and they've complained and spent from all of this kvetching, and after a time, they're able to remember that God is God and God is good. They have remembered that they have benefited before from the promises and goodness bestowed upon them by the Almighty, and they dramatically shift to a song of praise when they're ready. For Jesus, for all of us, the gift of this psalm is the reminder that we can, in our darkest moments, call out to God and that God will hear. And that in the midst of all that feels overwhelming, we do know that God is ultimately loving and good, and God's promises are never ending.
Indeed, there can be cause for praise after a season of lament.